Hi there, my name is Nele Kajers and welcome to the ULAR Pari podcast, where we discuss topics of interest to the Pari community as well as to people living with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases. Today I'm joined by our guests Brian Lynch and Peter Boyd from Arthritis Ireland. So stick around to meet them. On today's show, we will initiating a new series within the podcast where we aim to get to know the ULAR Pare member organizations a little better. And we start today with Arthritis Ireland. We will find out more about their history, their connection to ULAR Pare and the excellent work that they have done on a national level for people with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. Welcome and thank you both for being here today, Brian and Peter. Hi there. Thanks, Mil. Thanks, Mil, for having us. Hi, Nella. Thanks for having us on the show. So, Peter, I've known you for quite some time now, and um, I've, I've heard about Arthritis Ireland's initiatives, but what kind of support and activities does Arthritis Ireland offer to its members? So uh, we, we do run a, a lot of different uh, services, I suppose, and that's the area that I'm I'm involved in with the, with the organization is in services. Um, and what we're best known for, I suppose, is probably our self-management courses. Uh, so our Living Well with Arthritis six-week courses. We also have Breaking the Pain Cycle courses that we run um, and then if we look at our exercise offering we have a, a number of different uh, offerings in that area whether it's walking walking groups we have nordic pole groups that get together we have adapted exercise and then we go into the water we know how beneficial it can be to be in the water so we've aqua aerobics hydrotherapy sessions and um, lots of different things that people can get involved with and then we have our helpline and online supports as well so we have a, a national helpline that people can call in and, and chat to somebody living with arthritis and from that they can get on to peer-to-peer so talk about very specific topics um, and we also have online supports on facebook forums and different things like that and that's really the, the kind of the, the, the main areas that we're involved with, with services but then we also have a, a great advocacy team and and, and people mm-hmm. working in the background we've lots of research trying to trying to get done as well so we really are trying to do as much as possible to to really improve lives for for people living with arthritis in ireland yeah that's uh that's just sounds so perfect and looks like you're you're all doing a, a great job and so many things so i'm not i'm not sure if if on an international level there's lots for you to learn so arthritis is arthritis ireland has been a, a ular pari member organization now for several years so why did you decide to become a member i've just heard peter that you're doing so much but are there any benefits still of being part of the ular pari community brian yeah i i think there certainly are i mean we know that rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases and affects such enormous numbers of people in ireland and internationally and one of the things that i suppose we benefit most from being a member of ular is that shared experience that sense of network and connection to be able to learn from other patient organizations other member associations and assess and discover what they're doing that uh, what works in each of their own countries and equally from our side to be able to share what it is that we're doing you know and in the upcoming para conference you know we're contributing at a number of workshops so it's really useful 
to be able to kind of have that sense of connectivity. And I, I suppose, you know, we're 40 years old uh, at this stage, you know, and it, it's yeah. a real milestone anniversary that we're marking. But for the first couple of decades, we were primarily more a medical society, I suppose, whereas now in the early 2000s and the early part of this millennium, there was a decision made to include people living with arthritis in terms of the constitution of the organization, in terms of our membership uh, mm-hmm. becoming part of the board of the charity. So that certainly has brought the lived experience of people with arthritis and RMDs very much to the fore. Um, and I, I suppose from that then, you know, we're aware of common themes that, you know, are oftentimes discussed at a ULR level, maybe around patient-centered care or access to medicines uh, or the burden of the disease. And, you know, some of the great work that has happened at a political level in the European Parliament making employers and uh, people generally aware of how much arthritis and RNDs affects the working population. And then we can take those insights, uh, you know, whether this is work by, say, Tony Wolf or others, uh, or Neil Betteridge, for example, and apply those in, in our national context. So certainly there are huge benefits to us being part of that European community. Mm-hmm. So, despite your your experience on on a national level, there's still plenty to learn for you on an international level as well. Uh, then, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's the shared conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Because even you know, we're not a very large organization ourselves. We're only about say eleven or twelve staff, so we're small in the scheme of things. Ireland is a small country. But there are always new things to gain, you know, just simply from having conversations. Lord, it's one of the things we've all missed without the ULR Congresses being in person the last couple of years. You know, that sense of meeting other people who do similar things to you and how much you gain from uh, those in-person experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about the personal experience and meeting one another, how did the COVID-19 pandemic affect your activities and, and how has the organization adapted to the situation, Peter? Well, it, it was it was a real shock to the system as it was for everybody to, to, to have that moment where in an instant we were all leaving the office and, and, and beginning to work from home. And on a on a personal level you know the areas that i'm most involved with is our helpline and 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 running that and immediately i i had volunteers who used to come into the office and and take answer calls and and look after that and all of a sudden overnight we had to had to try and figure out a way to to make that service go online and that took a, a long time but it's something that we've managed to do and, and we were able to make it a cloud-based system now and have and recently we were able to get volunteers back onto this service answering calls at home but that that was one of the the, the impacts on us that it forced us to be uh, a bit fluid a bit mobile and, and come up with new ideas and new ways to cope with with things um, and it was also it covered the whole area of the organization whether it was our courses and 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 our, our offerings in those areas Areas, we had to figure out ways to adapt them and, and make sure that they could be delivered online. Could they could they be run online? How could our leaders, our volunteers, all, all the different people that are involved in that, how could they adapt? How could they figure out ways to continue to to help and support and look after the the, the people that are are at their most vulnerable? Because that's the way it was for for our community, for our cohort. They p- felt 
particularly uh, vulnerable over the last two years with the fact of being immunocompromised or immunosuppressed with their medications and conditions. So there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of nervousness around. And as Brian said, we were a small team and and it, it came back on all of us to to figure out ways to look after that community, to, to look after them in a way that they felt supported, that they felt um, looked after and that they found a way to to live with this um ongoing situation that has really upended our, our daily activities but also the lives of those living with arthritis like myself mm-hmm. and we were all learning really on on the on the fly and we had to learn how to change and adapt as we went but it was something that um i think as as, as an organization we we had to we had to adapt but i think that was another area where the experience of other uh, organizations through ULR Pari and, and, and all the other organizations going through it at the same time, that's where the communication really helped in that we could help each other out. What worked in one area could, could work in our country, could work for, for other people, and we could share our experiences and, and really support each other through what was a really, really difficult time um, and, and forced us to adapt in, in ways we, we wouldn't have imagined uh, maybe two or three years ago. And and now we ha- we do things uh, uh, as a it, it normal now that, that would have seen, is, yeah. seemed completely strange and, and, and unprecedented before. Yeah. But don't you see people getting tired of the situation, Brian? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's hardly surprising, really. Uh, and to, to maybe to pick up on a couple of the points that Peter was making there, um, you know, at one level, there was a greater pressure on us as an organization to provide information to people and to be able to support them at the very time when we ourselves were trying to adapt, uh, you know, in real time to the unfolding pandemic. And one of the things I suppose that kind of helped with all of that, you know, was certainly the international collaboration, but also how domestically within Ireland, patient organizations and support groups came together to work with the National Health Services in trying Mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, how do you communicate information to people? Because there certainly was so much uncertainty with regard to who was vulnerable, you know, older people, immunocompromised, uh, what information did people need to have around cocooning, subsequently about vaccines and all of the questions that emerged there. And I remember, you know, kind of in at various phases of the pandemic and the Irish government would have made an announcement. They tended to make the new announcements on Friday nights and then Saturday morning, the government would update the official information on the website. And Peter and I would both be working on updating our website on the Saturday morning. And as we were, as the the government and the the health service were updating their web pages, we were doing it in parallel on yeah. ours. And that's literally how it was happening in real time. And I, I suppose there there are lots of, um, maybe it, it can kind of sound strange to say that there are some goods that have come from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, we have found new remote ways of working which for all of their challenges probably are um, maybe after opening up other opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe long-term we will have to figure out what those look like, you know, and the, the changes around the, the psychosocial pressures that now exist around all of this. Um, 
But, and, you know, obviously there are pressures within the health system still, because certainly in an Irish context, you know, normal health services have been significantly delayed and they're not back on track. So Mm -hmm. people are still struggling to get rheumatology appointments. They're still struggling to get surgery. So there are consequences there that we will be trying to unpick and deal with for a long time. Um, But what it did do, though, was I think maybe it broadened the conversation around the broader impact of health, that health is a holistic thing that, you know, we tend to think of arthritis oftentimes in terms of the pain or fatigue that it causes. But because of COVID, we were also beginning to explore how people were connecting with other people. Those sense of isolation, if you like, became something mm-hmm. we uh, we began to explore. Uh, we were looking at more and more about how much physical activity people were undertaking, the effects on their mental health. And yeah. This, therefore, kind of, you know, we began to see arthritis not just as a physical disease, but because of COVID, maybe began to get a sense of, you know, um, I I suppose the bigger picture, the bigger health picture for people. And, you know, when I look at it last year, I, I run a lot of awareness campaigns. It's the bulk of my job is about making people more aware of the different diseases. And, you know, as part of that, we do a lot of community-based information events, you know, so we will organ- we will book a room in a town or a city and bring healthcare professionals and the community together there and, you know, give people information. But, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. we couldn't do any of that at all during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So we had to find a way of doing that digitally. Uh, and as a result of that, we now have a library of uh, if you like, information videos and resources that we produce during the pandemic, but will last far longer than yeah. this. Yeah, um, exactly. And that I think that's something, you know, that we will continue to do. Uh, I, I will be very glad to be rid of most of the COVID stuff, to be honest. Uh, but I think those <laughs> digital resources certainly is something we will do. And, you know, part of it, part of it as well, and, you know, Peter was involved with this, was we did a lot of... Um, I suppose, talking to our members, talking to people or arthritis about how the pandemic was affecting them. So we gathered an awful lot of data about people's lived experiences and were able to use that then to shape how we operate and to communicate Mm -hmm. that to the health services and to the politicians. And I think that is a really powerful function for a patient organization to listen to its community and distill that information, hear what people are saying, and to be able to take that then to other decision makers and saying, here's a real need experienced by a very large number of people, one million people in Ireland with arthritis, and how are we going to support and help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely a crisis, but also a way of learning and getting new things in place. Absolutely. For sure. Thanks. For sure. Yeah. Let's take a short break now to share a little bit of information about the ULAR PARI webinars. PARI offers a variety of webinars throughout the year, sharing best practice, latest information, and offering innovative solutions to the challenges that rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases patients and patients' organizations face today. There's always something in the pipeline. COVID-19 webinars, young PARI webinars, medical webinars, and far more. So check out our program and register with the Paris Events platform to discover our offerings. You can access the platform easily through the Paris section on the ULAR website. 
Okay, let's get back to our conversation. Now, looking back at the history of your organization of Arthritis Ireland, what do you think is are the biggest accomplishments or the biggest wins for people with RMDs in your country, Brian? It's a great question, Ella. Uh, we, we'll try and be as modest as possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned, you know, this is this is our 40th year uh, this year. And, you know, Peter highlighted earlier on, you know, the introduction of self-management. Uh, you know, we were, I think, the pioneers in bringing self-management to Ireland in 2006 uh, and seeing the, imp the positive impact that's had on so many people. And now it's being mainstreamed through the health services, you know, which is such a positive development for people with uh, chronic disease. Um, undoubtedly, the funding of research, you know, has been a key achievement, really. Ireland has an outstanding record when it comes to rheumatology research, but perhaps lacked the infrastructure there to really be able to capitalize on it. And through the investments we have made, you know, I suppose has strengthened that. And now there are some very, very strong academic and clinical centers of arthritis research in the country. And mm -hmm. even very recently, we concluded uh, a research prioritization exercise where we asked people, what are the most important research questions that you want answered? Mm -hmm. um, and that's feeding into the development of a new research strategy. So that certainly is a huge positive, a hu of huge benefit to people with arthritis. Um, And I, I think at one level, too, you know, there, there's an awful lot of awareness now around fake news and, you know, kind of people oftentimes have a lot of mistrust uh, around what to believe, particularly when it comes to health. And through being a national patient organization, I suppose we have established a reputation and a credibility for being a trusted source of reliable information yeah. so that if someone is newly diagnosed with arthritis or is a family member or a carer, that they know they can come to us and contact our helpline, check out our online support groups, and they will get reliable, scientifically-based information. Um, and that's something that's built up over a long number of years, uh, and I think it's something that we're, we're rightly proud of. Yeah, yeah. And you should be, because I think that's really the core business of everything that we're doing to get to the patient and make sure that he or she gets the best uh, information sure. possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So well done. Thank you. Now, um, of course, we also want to look into the future. Peter, if, if you look at your organization, what are the activities or goals that you still plan to achieve in the future? Well, there's there's lots of lots of small things on the horizon, lots of lots of little things that will make big differences along the way. But I suppose our our overall goal goal and 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 our mission is is to make myself and Brian obsolete. Our our, our goal is to is to is to make sure that we find that cure. That's that's what we're looking for. That's what we want yeah. to do, and it's it's a it's an ambitious aim and it's an ambitious mission for us. But that's what that's what we're we're looking to do. Um, but the the thing about it is, as Brian mentioned, that research prioritization uh, and what we did to to look forward to 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 focus the goals of our research and, and what we're what we're putting our efforts into was really a case of of listening to what's what the the 
our our cohort and our community are looking for and the information that they're that they're they're trying to find and that's what we've shown throughout uh, all all the the research through the the covid-19 uh, surveys that we did and they've informed some of the services that we we're now providing and we're beginning to roll out so we have this new mental health program that we, that we have which is called behind the pain and that's a that's a real real benefit for people because we know that as Brian mentioned earlier it's it's an holistic condition now we we're beginning to look at everything not just the pain and fatigue but also the longer term impacts that it has as someone who, who's been there himself and, and understands that that this can happen i i know the benefits of this but it's important that we we've documented it we've done a pilot program now and now we can see that it's going to benefit more people as we roll out to to to, to more in the future and we know that the newly diagnosed are probably at their most lost and most vulnerable uh, at the, at the very beginning so we're introducing a new program to to capture those those people so that they can be brought into into our trusted information as Brian mentioned as well so it's all about really in, engaging with those people very very early and making sure that we that we do that but we we are we are ambitious we are a small small staff we are a small uh, country and and a, and a relatively small organization but there's there's ambition and there's there's looking for things to to be done we have the two very very good centers of, of research here in ireland and we have the the community of people who are interested in innovating all the time and that's what we're, we're, we're looking to do so it's about us as a team ensuring that we're listening to our the community living with arthritis here in ireland and and distilling that down into what's been researched what's been looked at so that we can continue to 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 provide not what we think is is required but what is actually required of the people living with arthritis here in Ireland. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I hear both of you talking very enthusiastically about all the wonderful things that Arthritis Ireland has been done. Um, so I, I want to ask you a personal question too. I, I can hear your enthusiasm in your voices and, and everything that you tell, but what inspires you most in the work that you do for Arthritis Ireland on a personal level then, Brian? Um, I, I think health is an extraordinarily interesting place to be working in right now. Rheumatology certainly is an extraordinarily interesting place to be working in. And I'm really fortunate with the job that I do that I get to kind of engage with people who are living with arthritis, with researchers, with clinicians, with uh, scientists, with politicians, with media. Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, I have what personally for me is a really, really interesting job. Um, and I love the variety in it. Um, but I, I think most of it, like what, it sounds kind of a bit of a cliche really, but to kind of want to distill it down is that small thing of making a difference to someone. Um, and maybe improving their lot. And I know when, say, if we produce a new campaign, we very recently we did a, a campaign, an awareness campaign around AS and had a couple of patient case study videos. And the response to both of those was just extraordinary. Um, and I know the two kind of ambassadors who were part of the campaign as well, they were being directly contacted and they felt so empowered as a result of all the people saying, oh my God, you're telling my story. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think there was any hope, but because of you sharing your experience, you have given me some hope. And so my job helps share those stories. Um, and like, I can't think of any greater reward. I can't ease anyone's pain. 
yeah. all I can really do is maybe provide some little bit of support and make some tiny bit of difference. And if I can do that, that there's no greater motivation, really. Beautiful. Peter, what about you? Well, that's that's really put the pressure on me now to to, to, yeah. to try <laughs> to try and be as eloquent as that. Um just wiping some tears it, away now. <laughs> it, it is true. It's 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 the variety of the job, and as someone living with the condition, it's it is it, it is a privilege to be able to to meet all the, all those people who are doing their very very best to improve the lot for people just like myself. And that's that's all I can ask is is for people, the researchers, the scientists, as Brian mentioned, to be if they're working day in, day out to try and make it better and trying to take away the, the pain, the fatigue and every other symptom that, that people like me are, are living with. And I know exactly what that struggle is like. So all, all I can do is my very best to talk to people, to listen to people who are going through that and provide my my empathy and support. Um, and there is no greater reward or rewarding feeling than getting a, a small bit of feedback from somebody who calls in or somebody who has been on a course or somebody who has been to one of our events and says, thanks very much. I, was, I felt listened to. I felt understood. I, I found my tribe. I found my, my group of people who understand exactly what I'm going through. And it's lifted weight off my shoulders and i can now carry on with managing this condition and living with not just existing um and having been on that journey i i, I recognize it in so many people and it's it really is it's a privilege to see it and see people uh, blossoming uh in front of you and um I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it for the world. I've I've been looking to do many other jobs, um, and and jobs I loved and jobs I really enjoyed, but uh, nothing nothing comes close to to that satisfaction and that that enjoyment that you get from from helping. Okay, wonderful. I think this is. Uh, I couldn't close this podcast better than with with what you just said. It's uh, wonderful, and I'm sure it's an inspiration for for everyone listening. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. So thank you all for listening. And thank you to our guests, Brian Lynch and Peter Boyd, for talking to us about the past, present and future of the organization Arthritis Ireland. Thanks for having us, Nella. Thanks, Nella. Thanks a million. Join us again for our next episode. And if you don't want to miss it, please don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes or other podcast platforms so that you get notified when the episode is available. Until next time.